Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities, the great Chris Russo joins us once again, to the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star, Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Towns. We're going to be talking a little Dodger baseball. Former Dodger GM, former assistant GM of the San Francisco Giants, now does television for the Dodgers and also is a shark scout. Our buddy Ned Coletti is going to stop by. Jerry Harrison Jr., world champion with the New York Yankees, now does television along with Ned with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then the guy who calls Dodger baseball on television, Joe Davis. So a little World Series we're going to be talking here. We caught it with Ned Coletti during the World Series. Here is the former GM, now turned TV star down in Los Angeles. Ned, how are you? Hey, doing good. Doing well, guys. Well, I got to tell you, getting into the World Series, I thought yesterday was so important for the Rays to get a victory. And one of the reasons why is, you know, I've talked about how they had to take their bubble and now bring it to Texas to where the Dodgers the Dodgers have been where they have been for the last couple of weeks. They've been in the same resort, the same clubhouse, very comfortable with this ballpark. How important was the Rays to get game two? Well, I think you bring up a lot of good points. I think you never want to go down 2-0, against, especially against a team like the Dodgers. Uh, I thought when you have your best guy in the mound or arguably your second best, if not your best, in Snell, it's a game you've got to win. And you're right. The Dodgers have been in Texas. They played there during the regular season, and they've been there now for uh, two two plus a few game series. So they've been there for a while. It's almost like their home field. Well, Tampa has never been in there until Monday's workout. So big game for Tampa, a uh, huge game for them to win to keep the thing close here. And I got to think, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I mean, you know, when the American League all played in Southern California with no fans. Now, for the first time this season, the Rays are actually seeing fans in the stands. Yeah, it is a little bit unique. You're right. It is the first time they've done it. Of course, you've only got, I think, maybe ten or 11,000 people there in a massive, beautiful ballpark. So it's not like it's Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium or Dodger Stadium or, or Oracle Field. It's a, it's a smaller... Uh, smaller, obviously, not capacity, but smaller attendance. So 
I, you know, that may uh, that may help a little bit, but I'm not uh, I'm not so sure people are, are paying attention too much to the the crowd noise or the fan noise. I think they're almost almost desensitized to the laboratory effect in some ways. You know, we've actually seen a sack bunt. We saw Mookie steal some bases. I, <laughs> it's hard to believe we don't see that anymore. But man, you still see how small ball net can be so effective. Well, you bring up a great point. I've seen stuff that boy, I haven't seen that. I don't know the last time I saw that. You know, <laughs> although the Dodgers did have a double steal in the series before that that uh, really netted them some runs. Actually, in the series against San Diego, the second series they played. Um, they can do a lot of different things. People in LA sometimes question whether or not they can play small ball, so to speak, but uh, they've proven they can do that. The other night, game one, they had in one inning, they had three stolen bases and two walks, and a couple singles. So, you know, they have the makings of a team that can beat you in any number of ways. And as I look at last night's game, Tampa's bullpen is really their strength. That is what they've really renowned for. They haven't lost a game, I think, all year after leading after seven innings or. Uh, statistics somewhere near that that range. If, I think they might be perfect at it. And last night they probably came within a few inches when when uh, Will Smith hit a line drive to one to the third. That if it gets past him, uh, that game may have a different ending to it. And I think the uh, Dodgers ex- exposed a little bit of Tampa's bullpen. Um, and I think that Snell pitched great. He did walk four hitters though, and did look like he was trying to pitch away from contact a little bit. So. Interesting going forward, two good pitchers uh, with Morton going for Tampa and then, of course, Walker Bueller for the Dodgers coming up in the next game. You know, every single time Kershaw pitches, you know, there's there's people out there with criticism of him. Obviously, he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Do you think the criticism's fair? I really don't at this stage. You know, you look at where he ranks now in innings pitched and really even in one loss and and uh, strikeouts and earned runs and, and things like that. He's been remarkable. Has he had a few bad games? Yeah. Has he had more than, than others that are revered for that? Yeah, he has. Some of the times it's one bad inning. And and we know one, one bad inning certainly can make a difference in a series or in a game. It can also make a huge difference in, in your statistics and your one-loss record and things like that. And I've known him since he was 18, drafted him in my first year as a GM in, in L.A., and uh, I've watched him grow. I've watched him mature. I've watched him really become a great craftsman at what he does. I thought the performance he he gave in game one was stellar. I think he's pitched really well in these postseasons. I think uh, in the game against Atlanta when he had a rough sixth inning, I think the Dodgers were trying to get one more inning out of him. And uh, you know, sometimes sometimes that's the issue because you got to. It's like Baumgartner in in L.A. You know, I mean, I mean in San Fran. The ace of the staff. He, he's a workhorse, so you're going to always push the the ace of the staff, the workhorse, one more inning. And, and that period of time, the Dodgers were a little bit questionable on who was going to pitch their ninth inning. That changes the entire dynamic of a game for me, because typically you know you're going to get five or six out of your starter. You got the ninth inning locked down. You're going to have to manage the innings between when the starter comes out and when the closer goes in. Okay, pretty much locked in everywhere else, you know, those two spots, and then you got to mix and match the other ones. But when the ninth inning is a little bit precarious and you don't necessarily know you're going to go to one certain player there, you you start to manage uh, as soon as you get to your bullpen in a different type of way, in a a different anxiety, but just a, a different approach to it. 
And I think that they tried to get one extra inning out of him, that sixth inning, and uh, it, it kind of fell apart around him. Uh, so there's been situations like that, too. As you look back at some things, it's like, okay, you know what, he's our guy. Let's go one more batter. Let's go one more more inning. Last year against Washington, he came in to get the left-handed hitter out, and I think in the seventh inning, sixth or seventh inning. Then they put him back out there for another inning. And he was coming in a relief on short rest. And he gave up, of course, the home run to Rendon and then a home run to Soto. That's what people remember. Had he just gotten the lefty out and, and then come back, come back out, nobody brings it up. Does it, does it happen? Are the results the results? There's no doubt. But you're still looking at one of the best, the best in the history of the game. I think if the Dodgers can win the World Series, which I expect him to do, I think a lot of that uh, he sheds at that point in time. Well, he, I believe he's gone on short rest like six times in his postseason career to, to where someone like Madison Bumgarner has never done that before in that run that the Giants had. So it kind of, I think people need to realize how many times he's gone on short rest. Yeah, that's another big piece to it, too. And I think that sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And it's, it's a reality. And I can remember having many conversations with him. He was with us, I think, in 08. We were in the LCS in 08 and 9 and, and 13 and, and 14, made it to the division series. And he would always come in. We'd always have a conversation with him before the first game of the series, maybe on the off day ahead of it. And he'd always say, I want to pitch in game four, which is short rest. Or if we're down two to nothing, I'll come back on two days rest. You know, I mean, it was always a, a fight to kind of keep him from, from overdoing it in a way. So the, the energy and the appetite for victory has sometimes perhaps been a little bit of a precarious run form. But, you know, you'd rather have that in an athlete than somebody that's going to shy away from competition or shy away from the, the heat of the moment. And I think that that's been a, a lot of it. And you know, I, I, just, I see a different, him in a different place now. I see him more at peace with his career and, uh, and what he's trying to accomplish. I think he, you know, he loves being in L.A. He loves his teammates. He's seen what they've been able to do and really the, the dynamics that they have and the dominance that they've had for a handful of years now. Really, they've won over 100 games two of the last four years, and they've won. Nobody's going to win 100 this year, obviously, but they won 104 and less and then 106 last year in the last full season. So he knows he's in a special spot. He knows he's got a special team. I think there's only one thing on his mind. And, that, and that's winning a World Series. And I think he'll do everything he can to get there. And hopefully he'll do it without without putting himself in any kind of a vulnerable spot because of his his, his work ethic and his, his interest in doing everything he can to help his team win, even if it means coming up pitching on short rest. You know, back in the day when Nolan Ryan was on the mound, it was an uncomfortable at-bat. And then I'm now looking at all these kids that are coming in and they're throwing 100 miles an hour and they don't look like uncomfortable at bats. These guys are just barreling it up. So I'm wondering, it, it, are, are the guns on television maybe juiced? Or why Why do these guys not have a problem when they're hitting balls that are triple digits? You know what? It's it's very interesting. And uh, you know what? We don't know. We don't know if the ball's juiced. We don't know if the, if the guns are up a notch or two. We really don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. Uh, you know, I, I watch games in Texas. Uh, during the regular season with LA and everybody was talking about how big the ballpark is and it plays, it plays really to the pitcher's advantage. Then saw the first series there. I think the Dodgers had two home runs in their first five games there. And now they've got 20 home runs in their last nine. So 
did, did something happen? You know, I mean, who knows? You know, we don't know. We saw what happened last year where a home run record wasn't merely just surpassed. It was, it was crushed. And then most of the records that have been sitting around for 140 years, uh, you think that, okay, in a, in a six month season, they're going to get broken on the 25th of September, not Labor Day or not, you know, not, not like three weeks, four <laughs> weeks to go. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it is. I know that if uh, you can throw as hard as, uh, as Nolan Ryan threw, but if you didn't have the life that Nolan Ryan had, you weren't going to be able to get anybody out. And having life to your pitches and movement is obviously a, a key ingredient to being successful. You can't just throw straight. And you can't just throw one pitch either. Uh, there's nobody that's really gotten away with only throwing one type of pitch. you got to be able to change speeds, have an out pitch, have something that will move out of the zone. If you're ahead on the count, 0-2, 1-2, to put somebody away, you've got to have a lot of different repertoire to do it. So some of these guys that are throwing 100 miles an hour, yeah, they may not be throwing 100 miles an hour, or they're throwing it relatively straight and over the middle of the plate. And big league hitters, they they can take care of that. that that's not that big a deal. Think about Nolan Ryan, boy. What I remember, he had a lot of life to that fastball. He had, a, he had meanness to him, and he had a lot of life to it. You know, you you've worked for two of the great organizations in the game of baseball, and the Dodgers and the Giants, and you've been around some of the great players. And I know you can only speak to to your time, but if there was some type of science, technology kind of stuff going on, do you think you would have known about it? If, you know, in the organizations that you were with? Uh, what do you mean? I I'm, I'm, lost the question a little bit. Okay, so Jeffrey Lunau, we're going to have the reporter, uh, Vanessa Richardson, from Houston. She just did an interview with him, and he basically said he did not know it was going on underneath him. So I don't want to want you to comment on him. I'm just, if that was happening in L.A. or San Francisco, do you think you would have known about it? Oh, I've <laughs> I don't want to speak for Jeffrey Lunau at all, but I I can't believe I wouldn't know about it. You know, you're there every day. You're immersed in it every day. You're in, the, in and around the clubhouse every day. Uh, you see a lot of different things. Do you know everything? No, you do not know everything. Um, would you know something like that? As, uh, you know, I, I would be surprised uh, that if, if I didn't know about it. That said, you know, again, I, I can't tell you that. I was aware of everything every day that went on and, and things like that. But, you know, a vast majority of it, I think you'd, you'd have a sense for it. Let's end on this. You know, we're all huge San Jose Sharks fans. As uh, Cody and I both live in San Jose, what, what kind of season do you think we're going to see with the NHL this year? Well, that's interesting. I think it may be shorter than uh, than the regular uh, number of games. I think it may be shorter by 10 or so, or maybe 20. I'm just taking a guess here. Um, I think that when I think having fans back in the stands to some to some level will be very important and, and corresponding to a, a start date. Um, you know, as, as I think the, the truest answer to anything in sports right now is nobody really knows. And I think you have to take it and, and kind of evaluate it as as uh, things become hopefully more under control and the virus becomes more more predictable, more under control. And and therapeutics become stronger and perhaps a vaccine comes up down the road. Um, but I think you'll see a perhaps a shorter NHL season. And I think some of it will be predicated on when people can start to attend games. May not, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit precarious too, when you think about it, because every state, every, every county perhaps has a different mandate. So if you've got all these different teams, you may, you know, you may have a different mandate 
per team or per city, per region. So some teams may be able to have fans back. Some teams may not be able to have fans back. So I think the complications of it, uh, there's a lot to still sort out. Uh, personally, I can't wait. Uh, I'm excited for what the Sharks have done this season. I know there's not a uh, a superstar type of player that have been added, but they've added the right kind of people and the right kind of group. And I think the team is going to be better. I think everybody's a little bit disappointed in in the performance last year. You know, as Doug says all the time, your best players got to be your best players. And I think the the future is bright. I think it's a tremendous organization culture. And I think that there'll be there would naturally be a step up. I think just by uh, the talent on the team, and then you've had some other other players that uh, that play hard. They play hard. They play the right way. They grind it out, and uh, they'll make other players better in and around them too, which I think is very important. Ned is always an honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. And good good luck to the Dodgers, and we'll talk soon. Be safe. All right, Chris. Same to you. Thank you, sir. Ned is good people, and it's always great to talk to him. Jerry Harrison Jr. was a very good player, a world champion in 2009, and we always like to catch up with him uh, to talk a little Dodger baseball. We caught up him, caught up with him right before the start of the World Series. I believe Jerry's got to be fired up as someone who covers the Los Angeles Dodgers on television. Played for the Orioles, Cubs, Rangers, Reds, Yankees, Padres, Nationals, Brewers and then ended his career with the Dodgers, won the World Series with the New York Yankees. I always love having him on the program. Jerry, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, what's going on? How you doing, I'm doing great. Congratulations. Uh, Dodgers going to the World Series. I know you guys are going to have a blast with this. Yeah, man, we are so proud of this team, man. So proud of the guys. We're we're excited. You know, you you think about this Dodger team during this run. You know, eight years winning the division is incredible. Uh, is this the best Dodger team you've been around? I can only answer that after we win the World Series. You know, <laughs> talent-wise, uh, talent-wise, it's right up there. You know, I really thought the 2013 team was very talented with Matt Kemp, Andre Ether, Daniel Ramirez, Yashel Fleek, and a prime, uh, Zach Greinke and Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I thought that probably was the most talented. Uh, this team may be the most, uh, uh, as far as depth, may have the most depth. But again, the 2013 did not win the World Series. Uh, and we always talk about great Dodger teams. The historically great Dodger teams, it starts by winning a World Series, and that's the 88 team, the 81 team, and so on and so forth. So these guys understand that. The players understand that in order for us to be great, we have to bring home that, that hardware. That's to be World Series champions. Yeah, and this team has a ton of talent, and, you know, uh, playing out in right field, Mookie Betts is just so special. He's so talented offensively defensively, the speed, everything he brings. How much of a greater appreciation do you have for him now that you've been able to able to watch him every single day? Well, I'll tell you what, I believe it was 2018 or 17. I'm, I'm really good friends with Dustin Petroya. And when, when Petey was on that team in Boston, I made it a point to, to go visit him in the clubhouse. And, and when I did, I said, listen, I, I got to meet Mookie Betts. He's my favorite intelligent player with his athleticism. 
But now seeing him every single day, and I've said this the last month or two, you know, he's with Ken Griffey Jr. and Roberto Alomar as the most skilled baseball players I've ever seen. You know, you talk about the accurate arm, you talk about the range, uh, his heads-up base running, uh, the speed, the power. He, there isn't anything he can't do on a baseball field. And it's on it's full display, you know, in this NLCS, but we've got a chance to see it every day uh, coming to Dodgers. Yeah, he's a special guy. There's no doubt about it. What a pickup for the Dodgers. Uh, how big is this World Series for Clayton Kershaw and his legacy? Well, for his legacy, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, so I, I think just for him, knowing Clayton, the competitor that he is, he wants to win this World Series not just for him, but for the team of LA. Uh, for the entire Dodger Nation. So, you know, he's competitive when playing ping pong. You know, so he always wants to win. He's got that Jordan mentality, that, that Kobe Bryant, like, win at all costs type of mentality. So, uh, for him, he wants to win. As far as legacy, I think his legacy is already said, but, you know, first style Hall of Famer, of course, winning the World Series uh, with everybody else's eyes would definitely enhance that. You know, it wasn't that long ago you were still playing. Your last year was 2013. Is it just crazy to you from, let's say, when you first came up with the Orioles to where we are now with the velocity where every single guy coming out of the bullpen is throwing 100 miles an hour? Well, I think the guns are more accurate now. You know, I've been talking to some some scouts. Uh, The guns are better, meaning... They're able to read the, the, the velocity out of their hand now, whereas opposed when we when I played years ago, uh, they would get the velocity when I was crossing the plate. So if guys throwing a hundred now, that means he was throwing ninety seven then. You know, so it, it, it's three three miles an hour up as far as the gun machine, but still ninety seven a hundred. That's bringing it. Uh, but I think they got you know especially the race team. Everybody that both their teams like they throw 97 to 100 miles an hour. And uh, Cash does an outstanding job navigating that bullpen and bringing in, bringing in guys, you know, to face certain guys at, at any particular time. So, you know, the elite teams have that power in the bullpen. The Dodgers have a great bullpen. The Rays have a great bullpen. It's going to be interesting how these managers uh, use them in this series. Well, you played at Dodger Stadium. You played at Petco. Were you shocked uh, watching the American League, whether it's the Division Series or the ALCS, and watching balls just fly out of Dodger Stadium in Petco Park? It, bruh, I have never seen. I played for the Padres in 2010, and I played for the, for the Dodgers, and I played a division player too. Balls were just jumping out, you know, going three-fourths above the grandstand out on the concourse. And, you know, guys are, are, are big, but guess what? Guys are huge in my day, too. Mark Water, all those guys are big, too. So, uh, whether the balls are wound a little tighter, I think it does make for a better show. Everybody likes the long ball. Uh, but it does kind of negate that power pitching, too. You know, the guy's throwing 100 miles an hour. You get it out front, ball will jump. How much do you think it changes now going to Arlington? Because Arlington is playing bigger. Well, I think the Dodgers 
they have that slight edge because they've been there the last couple of weeks. They know how, how that stadium plays. Uh, I'm sure uh, as we speak, Jack was probably having a workout now uh, trying to get used to that, that stadium. Uh, them being in the AL East, they didn't get a chance to play in that ballpark. So they're trying to get the new, uh, get the, get down the, the nuances of that ballpark, how it jets out in certain areas, how the walls play. So uh, definitely the advantage Dodgers there, but Listen, they, they got some guys that are, that, that are strong on, in that lineup. If they get it, ball's going to carry. Uh, and the Dodgers have found out when they get the baseball, ball jumps out of there. Ask Kiki Hernandez and Cody Bellinger. I am so glad you said that because I've been using that point, and a lot of people have acted like it's not a big deal. Tampa has never played here, and you've just come off playing a couple series in Arlington. I got to think, as a player, that's a huge advantage. You know you know how the turf plays. You know how fast it is. You know the outfield. You know everything about it. You're comfortable in that clubhouse that you've been in. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that is a total advantage for the Dodgers. It, it is. It is an advantage. Now, as far as the turf, you got to remember, Tampa does play on turf. So that will be familiar to them, especially their infielders. They're not going to be surprised on certain bounces because they have turf in Tampa uh, during the season. But again, you know, the background, you know, the mound, where the pitchers get used to the mound quicker. I know listening to Clay Kershaw, when he was my teammate, and Kenley Jackson, those guys would talk about certain ballparks and, and their mounds, how comfortable that mound was. Or if we didn't go to another uh, 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 stadium, they didn't like that certain mound. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how quickly Tampa Bay adjusts to that ballpark. Let's end on this. Uh, Kenley Jansen, his last last couple outings, it looks like the cutter's back. He's He's got an uptick in velocity. Uh, you're game one, and you got to close this thing out in the ninth. Are you going with him? So, you know, because remember, the reason why Billy, which was a brilliant move last night, did not use Kenley, it, it would have been three days in a row. And that's not fair to Kenley. You know, you don't ever want to pitch a guy three days in a row, especially if, if you're starting to become a veteran pitcher. Uh, and with, with Kenley, he would have had yesterday off and now today. So if there's a situation where, you know, we got to lead, you know, I don't think Dave Roberts is going to hesitate to use Kenley Jansen. Well, it's been one heck of the year for Dodger Blue, and I think we're going to have a great World Series. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to be a part of it. Good luck to you, and then hopefully we're talking to you about a uh, Dodger victory. I hope so, man. Again, I'm proud of these guys, and hopefully they close it out. Four more wins, job's not finished. Take care. Be safe. Take care. Thank you. And last but not least, Joe Davis is the TV face voice of Dodger baseball and also works for Fox Sports. So we caught up with him during the NLCS, and if the series went seven, he called it, and it did go seven, so he did the national call on Fox Sports 1. So here is Joe Davis. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it, and, and the Dodgers, their backs definitely up against the wall. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. I mean, it, you get into the 2-0 deficit, and honestly, I still felt pretty good about their chances uh they you know game three they win obviously the outburst and the first inning and it was amazing how the narrative kind of shifted at that point where the Braves were up 2-1 but it almost felt like the Braves were down in the series and that the Dodgers 
with their 11-run outbursts in the first inning and their 15 runs over the first three innings in Game 3 had, like, won the series just for that stretch. But very quickly, now the Braves kind of put them back in their place, and now they've got to win three in a row. You know, I only get to watch so many Atlanta Braves games during the year, and especially in a shortened season. You know, we focus so much out west that, you know, whatever was happening in the central or the east, you know, you'd see the highlights. But, man, the thing that really has played for the Atlanta Braves, and I want to know if you've seen this, is that their athleticism. This is a really athletic team. Athletic and fun, and they hit for power. I think especially offensively, it's really impressive up and down the lineup. You've got a guy like Acuna at the top of it who does everything well. Freddie Freeman might be one of the top two or three just pure hitters in the sport. And then Ozuna, who almost won a triple crown. I mean, there's no better offseason signing than Marcelo Ozuna with what he's done for that lineup. You talk about the athleticism, you get down to the bottom of it, you know, starting in the middle of it with a guy like Ozzy Albies who can – take extra bases, and it's a very aggressive base runner. They've got more speed in there with Christian Pache, the rookie. So, I mean, a little bit of everything, athleticism, but some sock and just some overall good hitters in there too. Well, tonight you got Ginger Guard going. This guy's stuff is just, I mean, to, to watch to watch a guy get up on the mound and throw with that kind of velocity, that kind of movement, you know, back in the day, if you ever saw somebody doing that, they'd be grunting and throwing his heart. I mean, it's just effortless coming out of his arm. It's just I know. it's insane. I mean, how much fun is it to watch this kid pitch? It's awesome. It, you hit the nail on the head. It's so effortless. And then, boom, you're looking at 101. Kind of similar to Bruce Star Gratterall coming out of the Dodger bullpen, where it's like, how in the world is that triple digits with the ease that it looks like they're delivering it with? And he, I, I know you guys hear him talk about the concept of tunneling, having multiple pitches come out of the same tunnel. He does that at an elite level with his two-seam fastball that dives one way and his cutter and his slider that dive the other. So he's somebody that, you know, it's a game five starter, but the Dodgers feel about as good about him as you could somebody coming into game five. You know, we've been very critical of umpires, and we know at some point an electric strike zone is going to be in Major League Baseball. But like like with some of these kids that you mentioned that are throwing 100, 101, getting all the way up to 103, I can't imagine how tough that would be to call balls and strikes. The ball is on you hmm. so fast, and you have to make that decision so fast. I Just talk about how hard it is just to be an umpire today because of the for just not the hitter's got to deal with it, the umpire. Yeah, that's a great point. I like I said, I hadn't really thought much about that. But how, how about you combine that with 20-mile-per-hour winds whipping around in that place last night? I can't imagine that was easy on the umpires. We saw the hitters complaining about it, drying their eyes out, and, um, kind of wreaking havoc after they'd opened the roof. But I don't imagine that was easy on umpires either, seeing 101 plus the wind. No, and and the win, I, I researched it, and I know the L.A. Times uh, did something on it about how it was about COVID. If they're going to have fans yeah. in the ballpark, they, there could be potential particles. Uh, I, I, I guess wind was something they said it would help clear it out, whatever. But uh, it, I believe it was the L.A. Times, right, the report that the reason why baseball had it open was because of fans and COVID-19. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? I mean, I, because outside of that, it's like, what are we doing? Let's close the roof. People are having this many issues. 
playing the game, but yeah, I think that they'd kind of said going in, this is what we're going to do because it provides the safest environment possible. And I understand that. So got to get the game today, not only to keep the Dodgers alive, but we got to get you on, on, on the national broadcast for Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I have uh, multiple rooting interest in this thing, getting to seven. First of all, being a guy that covers the Dodgers, I'd love to see them extend it to a game seven. And yeah, getting a chance to call a game seven on national TV would be a dream come true. So uh, I, I'm very much invested in seeing this thing get to seven. You know, the one thing that has just plagued the Los Angeles Dodgers is getting those 27 outs. And just lately, just the bullpen you know, Blake Trinan's a hell of a guy, you know, former A, we love him. Kenley mm-hmm. Jansen, obviously his stuff is not the same. You mentioned Gratterall. I mean, it's just, you know, that has been their problem, has been the bullpen. Is it hard to believe that we're still dealing with this with so much talent on that Dodger team? Yeah, I mean, they had the best bullpen in the National League in the regular season statistically, and I say statistically, but I think to the eye test too, just so many good options down there. And then you get into October, and it's kind of looking like it has in years past, where it's been good during the regular season, but for one reason or another, hasn't produced in the same way uh, once the postseason rolls around. So I, I wish I could put my finger on it, and I know the Dodgers wish they could too, but uh, on the verge of it being a very similar tune, very similar tone uh, with the way the season ends if they can't win three in a row here. You know, obviously we know with COVID-19 and really no fans, how much that's benefited certain teams. I think everybody agrees how that really benefited the Houston Astros, uh, that they weren't taking the grief every single plate appearance, every single game. And then I think, you know, like in this series, young players, how much do you think it's benefited the young players that they don't have that natural playoff on the road, fan base going nuts, that they don't have to deal with that. Do you think that's really helped young players so far in this postseason? For sure. I think young players, and then I think there are certain veteran players that probably benefited from it. Um, hard for me to, to point to exactly who that may be, but I'm sure there are certain guys who really thrive with the crowd and feed off of that, but I'm sure there are some others who have found out that they're a little bit better without that pressure, and I would think that you're spot on with saying a lot of the young players probably benefit the most from it, where it's just one less thing to uh, to feel pressure from. There's enough pressure knowing you're debuting in the majors and you're a young guy in the majors, but when you got 50,000 people breathing down your neck at some of these parks, that's a whole other layer to it that they, uh, they've been able to not have to deal with and kind of ease into things, relatively speaking. You know, I can go right now to the homepage of MLB.com. I, I don't think this is fair. But it's right on the right side. It says, debate, is Kershaw a playoff choker? I, I think that's kind of harsh. What do you think about this criticism going up against one of the, you know, truly one of the great pitchers of his time? Yeah, it's a bummer. I, I disagree with it. Um, I think that you, they're, like John Smoltz and Joe Buck have talked about, there are a few um, innings throughout his long postseason career that have skewed the overall numbers some. Now, the the counter to that is an outing like last night, right? He's good through five and then gives up a few in the sixth and takes the loss, right? So it's hard to argue against that. But to call him a choker, I mean, there have been many, many stellar outings, many, many Clayton Kershaw-esque outings in the postseason, too. 
I think it's one of those things, Chris, where until he wins one and unless he wins one, that's going to be what the narrative is. And, and narratives are hard to shake once they get going. And, and you can make an argument that that is the case, given the numbers throughout, you know, the, the overall numbers throughout his career. Um, and I think the only way that he shakes that narrative, right or wrong, is by getting a World Series. Let's end on this. How you feeling about uh, down in San Diego, Rays and Astros, the walk-off jack by Correa, and now that series is 3-2. Uh, the pressure kind of seems like it may shift a little bit over to Tampa Bay. How you seeing the uh, ALCS? Yeah, I agree with you on that. It's like it's crazy. It goes from, man, can the Astros keep it alive another night to, yeah, I think the pressure is on the Rays. Um, it would be it would be fascinating to watch a Dodger Astro World Series, wouldn't it? I know both those teams are down in their respective series, but if they were both able to come back, boy, that would be a uh, a series layered with stories. That's for sure. I I don't know. It's it's really hard to to win four games in a row, especially against a team that can match up the way Tampa Bay can. So I'm surprised that it's still going, and I would be surprised if the Astros finished to come back. And I mean, I'm not going out on a limb saying that, right? It's been a long time since the team, you know, got to go back to 2004 and the ALCS to find a team erasing the 3-0 deficit. So it's impressive that they're still in it. I will be shocked if they're able to finish off the uh, the comeback to win the series. Well, I think you know how our fan base feels about the Astros, and we were like the first team to actually turn them in to Major League Baseball. But <laughs> I loved your guys' fan fest. I love the way your guys took shots at them. I mean, that's how we all yeah. feel. And, and I really like how, you know, big-time players – came out at your guys' fan fest and really laid it on the Astros because, man, they've gotten off easy. Yeah, it was amazing. Not just Dodger players, but in spring training, it was like the whole sport was unified against the Astros and their players. And rarely do you see that inside the fraternity, guys going after their own, but I guess it goes to show you how deep the cuts were. Hey, we appreciate the time and good luck to your Dodgers, and hopefully we're seeing you on national television. Thank you, Chris. We'd like to thank Ned Coletti, Jerry Harrison Jr., and Joe Davis all talking a little Dodger baseball. Now back to A's cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.